Good morning. This is the podcast for San Diego First Church of the Nazarene, and my name is Dee Kelly. I am honored each week to be with you and so glad that you've tuned in as we continue our series in Hebrews. Before we get to that, I simply want to make mention of the fact that we have a location at 3901 Loma Land Drive in the Point Loma area of San Diego with church services at 1030, um, Sunday school for all age groups at 9 o'clock, um, and then during the midweek, we have programming that you might be interested in, and you can find some of those things at our website at sdfcnaz.com. And we are glad that you have joined us in this fashion, but would also enjoy if uh, you are able to join us in person, we would love to have you. I would love to make you aware of a couple of the things that are happening in the life of the church in the upcoming weeks. It's not too far off before we will be in Advent with our Advent services. We will have a, a combined service in our um, large worship center auditorium on November 28th, where all um, of our groups will be together at 1030 in that service. On December 5th, Joyful Sounds of Christmas will be presented by our choir and orchestra, and I know you will enjoy that. December 12th is one of our special times of the year where the children do their Christmas musical on Sunday morning, and then the remaining two services of Advent we will have as well as we finish out the calendar year and during Advent actually start the Christian calendar year. So those are some of the things that are taking place. Uh, part of our midweek programming is a class, The Bible for Everyone, on Wednesday nights at 6.30 in the Bose Conference Room. If you're just looking for a group to be part of and read the scriptures together, we would love to have you join us. Pastor Matt Wilson and myself, we lead it and uh, would look forward to you being there if that's something that you might be interested in. Finally, we contribute to a variety of things in our community over the course of the year. The one we are contributing in the next couple weeks to is the Southeast San Diego and Living Water Thanksgiving Food Drive. There are many ways in which you can contribute to that. You can contact our church office if you are interested. Well, as I said before, we are digging into Hebrews once again in this uh, six-week series that we've been in. And we are looking at um, Hebrews chapter 10. So if you are... Um, following along, open up your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10, and we will spend our time there. We have, in previous weeks, dug in deeply into the Old Testament because this is a very Jewish book, uh, the book of Hebrews, and it is uh, so deeply connected to portions of the Old Testament law, the Pentateuch and the prophets, and so it becomes valuable to look at those things. We've looked at several pieces of the Old Testament, and for quite a few weeks, we have been in a passage in Hebrews that extends from chapter 4 all the way through verse ten, uh, chapter 10 that has to do with making an argument for Jesus as being our great high priest. It's an in-depth presentation of the nuances of the Old Testament expectations of sacrifices, of the role of the priest, of the sins for which those sacrifices were to atone, and how Jesus fulfills all of those things to not only be our great high priest, but also 
to be the ultimate sacrifice that provides once and for all for the atonement for our sins, and in so doing puts an end to the requirements of the law because Jesus has fulfilled the law. So when we look into chapter 10, again, the passage takes us from verses 11 through um, 25, we see the powerful ways in which the writer of Hebrews sets up for us life and life abundantly based on what Christ has done for us. So I'd like to read, if I could, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Well, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, quote, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. End quote. And then he adds this. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. End quote. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I said before, this is a lengthy argument that goes all the way back to chapter 4 and continues into this passage, an argument trying to establish Jesus as the great high priest. You see, these people who are hearing and receiving this letter, this message, they're being pressured by Romans and by Jews to give up the nonsense of their faith in Christ. They're being encouraged to let go of that and to return, at least the Jews are encouraging them, this, other Jews, to return to um, the long-standing traditions that have held their community together for so long. 
those who are in this congregation that are not Jews would certainly be pressured by the Romans to let go of this group, this faith that is clinging on to something that in many ways undermines the authority and power of the Roman government. So in the midst of this kind of pressure, this admonition comes, this encouragement comes to hold on to the faith that really changes everything. <clears throat> so in this description of what Jesus has done, we find at the very beginning of this passage a comparison between the high priestly order and Jesus is the high priest. The high priestly order has been offering sacrifices day after day for such a long time <clears throat> and will continue to do so. But Jesus, Jesus offered himself one time as a singular sacrifice to accomplish forever the reconciliation between ourselves and our Creator, opening up the pathway of communication and relationship, bridging the gap, healing forever what has been broken. And so we have three characteristics of Jesus listed in verses 11 to 14. One is that Jesus sits down as opposed to the priests that are active at the altar of sacrifice. Jesus sits down because Jesus' work is completed. All that needed to be done, Jesus has done. And so Jesus sits down. Well, then the location of where Jesus sits is at the right hand of the Father. This is in the fulfillment of prophecy that the one will come and will be seated at the right hand of the Father. The one who makes intercession on our behalf. So this is the one who remains our advocate. The one who loves us and knows what we've gone through. And intercedes for us that we might live into all the blessing that God has provided. The third characteristic is that Jesus waits. It's an interesting characteristic that I don't often think about in regard to Jesus. But again, it is part of the prophetic word from the Old Testament. It says that he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. I think waiting is one of the hardest things to do. It may be, for some of us, the biggest challenge to our faith. We are in time. And as time passes, our faith often brings into question the things in which we have placed our faith and trust. While we wait and things don't seem to change, we catastrophize, we ruminate, we complain, we give up. For some of us in this community, there was a difficult moment this last Wednesday as some of the young men from our community uh, we're down in Mexico and we're lost. Um, nobody knew where they were. And certainly as a community, we came together in prayer. But as time passed, the waiting made things difficult. Waiting in the midst of the unknown. Unknown outcomes, unknown circumstances, unknown direction. 
it plays havoc with our faith. It is hard for us to wait. We want to be people of action. We want to control. And sometimes we are not able to control. Sometimes God's great gift to us is forcing us to wait. Waiting doesn't always mean doing nothing. Waiting sometimes calls us to prayer and reflection. A call to self-awareness. A call to God-awareness. A call to be attentive to the things that frighten us, that cause us to worry, ruminate, catastrophize. The passage speaks in verses 15 through 18 of a prophetic statement made by the prophet Jeremiah. It's from Jeremiah 31, verses 33 through 34. What's quoted here is a reference to the promise that God has made. One of those promises is that their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. It also offers a promise. This is the covenant I will make with them. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. So Jesus came and fulfilled the law and in so doing did away with the external law with all of its rules and regulations and instead wrote on our heart and on our minds God's law. God's image stamped on us becomes for us the way by which we move forward in our journey, maturing in our faith, becoming self-aware of who we are, and more aware of who God is. It is a call to reflect, and prayer is part of that. Prayer is not simply listing all of the requests we have, though it includes that. Prayer is posturing ourselves in such a way that we might reflect on what God has written on our hearts and on our minds. Who are we? I have thought often about the people who have influenced me. You, this group, is certainly on that list. I'll come back to that in a few moments. My parents, my sister, my daughters, my, my wife, the people who have influenced me greatly, authors that I've read, people who have been my teachers and my friends. In the midst of all of that, it causes me to think about who I am. My dad, one of the very influential people in my life, I have often thought that my dad seemed to be a bit unaware of himself. He was a firstborn. He often didn't have to take into account others. Certainly growing up, he um, had a journey where he enter entertained himself. His parents moved several times. I'm sure he made new friends where he went, but he was also very independent, very self-sufficient. And so in my family of origin, my dad sometimes functioned in that way, very self-sufficient. I'm sure my mom reminded him again and again to take into account everyone else that was in the family. But sometimes I wasn't sure my dad was very aware of that. 
He influenced me in numerous ways, as I've already said. But I remember a very self-aware moment for him. It startled me. We were in a discussion as a family. We were talking about some difficult issues. And I remember my dad saying, I know that I am a problem to others often when I don't perceive that I am a problem at all to myself. And I'm often aware of the extent to which I am a problem for others. I was stunned. I've never forgotten it that he was aware of how he was often unaware. That's the beginning of a wonderful reflection for my dad, who as years passed, tried to become more aware of other people. But I think it was a lifelong struggle for him. God calls us to self-awareness, and as a result of that, God-awareness. God has placed on our hearts and our minds God's laws, God's principles, God's value. I learned some of those things by exploring some of the things about myself, finding out if I'm an inward processor or an outward processor. What's my conflict resolution style? What are my Myers-Briggs letters that help me to under my, understand myself? What are my strengths? What's my Enneagram number? What's my animal, my color, all of these surveys that we can take to find out things about ourself. Once we know those things, we then have to reflect and say, so what do they mean? How does knowing myself make a difference? What are my weak spots? What are my blind spots? What are the ways in which my interactions affect the dynamic of the community in which I live? my family community, my friend network, my church. Well, when we reflect, when we pray, it's one of those things that we do in the midst of waiting. Verses 19 through 25 give us some marvelous direction. They say, at least they begin with, we enter the most holy place with confidence. It's not confidence in ourself or what we have done. It's confidence in God's love and grace. So having been reminded of God's love and grace, we enter the most holy place because of what Christ has done by opening up the barrier to us. He fulfills what the priesthood, what religion is supposed to do, and that is making access, making a pathway to God, a pathway to becoming better in who we are. Prayer invites us into that place. Secondly, we draw near to God. It says, with a sincere heart and assurance in our faith that we've been washed, that we have a clear conscience. So we draw near to God in this most holy place. And we hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, again, not because of what we have done, but because we know that the one who promised is faithful. We have stories after stories after stories of faithfulness. And so we hold unswervingly to the hope. Here's what seems so important in the midst of this, though. The next three things that we do 
are all done in community. We can't do it without a community. This is not a solo task. This is not the Lone Ranger trying to make everything right by our singular efforts. This is an invitation into community. In fact, it's an expectation of community. I think that's really important for us to know that we spread our arms wide to include others, but in those moments when we would retreat and hide, the call is that our faith needs the community for greater awareness, greater growth, and to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Three things arise out of this call to community. One is that we spur one another on to love and good deeds. We can't spur one another on unless we are with one another. It is part of the calling to community. Encouraging, spurring one another on to do the very thing that the community needs to do. Love. The second is, don't give up on meeting together. Make it a priority. Plan to be together. This is regardless of whether you are an extrovert or an introvert. This doesn't speak to what you need to regain your energy. It doesn't make an extrovert more valuable to the community. We need all to not give up coming together because it's in coming together that we hold one another and engage in those actions that help us to more reflect Christ in all we do. And then thirdly, encouragement. We become for one another the voice of encouragement. I think so often we come together to find like-minded people with whom we can whine. Jesus confronted grumblers, murmurers, those who just moaned and bemoaned. But the purpose of coming together is not to find others with whom we can complain, with whom we can whine, with whom we can grumble and murmur against whatever it is that's going on. Coming together to take up sides, it's just the opposite. It's coming together to encourage, to find common ground of unity, to find ways by which we live into the truth of love and grace becoming more self-aware so that we can become more community-aware. Ultimately, this makes us more God-aware. But all three of those components are essential. What have I done in community that's been harmful? What do I do in community that becomes beneficial? What have I done in community that hinders the kingdom of God? What have I done in community that fosters God's will being done on earth just as it is in heaven. This call is a call to prayer, a call to reflect, a call to self-awareness, a call to allow God's word to pour over us, to correct us, to encourage us, to make us a valuable part of the community so that we can contribute our unique characteristics to bringing the kingdom wherever it is that we might be. So this morning, I invite you into this place to recognize that Jesus has accomplished all and sits down at the right hand of the Father on our behalf 
Jesus waits as we are often called to wait. But in waiting, to see that as an invitation to prayer, prayer not to call us to guilt over an external law with its own set of regulations, but instead to become self-aware of what God has written on our hearts and on our minds. And there we're invited to enter the most holy place with confidence in what God has done, to draw near to God and to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, and then to contribute ourselves to the vitality of the community, spurring one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, but encouraging one another. All the more so, as each day passes and we draw closer to the great fulfillment of what Christ will do in us, among us, and through us. For this is God's promise to us. Father in heaven, thank you for this your day, as every day is. Thank you for our resources, and they are yours. We are simply stewards. Thank you for the privilege of giving, of caring, of stepping into places where there is need for compassion and help, of using our giftedness and first becoming aware of what it is, reflecting on ourselves and what you have stamped as your image on our heart, having written your laws there and in our mind, so that we might be attuned to your spirit that's at work in us. May you, through your spirit, spur us on to love and good deeds, but may we receive that from those with whom we are in community, encouraged, spurred on, loved, as in community we find ways to better love one another. We thank you, Lord, and praise your name for how you've provided for all of this. We love you, Lord. Amen. Now may God's grace be with you. May God's peace be in you. May God's love flow through you as we do this together in community. Have a blessed week.